Hey everybody, Chris here with the Veteran Welding Podcast. I'd like to thank today's sponsor, which is TMR Customs. Before we kick off the show, TMR Customs, I have personally been using them for a very long time, and honestly, I love their parts. They're perfect, they're done right. Never once have I gotten a part that was flawed. They're absolutely amazing. Every part is laser cut. Every part, if it's part of a kit, is somehow marked so you know where it goes. You're never fiddle farting around trying to sort it out. Tim and his brother Mike are the owners. They are phenomenal guys. They always have tons of great advice for you, and they're always pushing the boundaries. That's who's today's sponsor is. Let's step into the show. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Chris here with Veteran Welding, and thank you for tuning in to the Veteran Welding Podcast. On today's episode, episode seven, we will be talking to Jonathan Lewis. Now, for those of you who don't know who he is, let me give you a bit of a rundown. Jonathan is one of the hosts of the welding tips and tricks podcast all right uh if you haven't heard of that podcast i highly suggest you head over there because the amount of content that you will learn uh, for welding fabricating stuff like that is unbelievable there's a ton of information there i highly recommend you go there enough said on that because i can't properly explain how much information is over there uh i think that podcast has been going for about three or four years now and they have had a whole schwack of guests on there and it's phenomenal anyway moving forward uh jonathan and i have been chinwagging since i think about two years ago now when i was on that podcast we've been talking on and off ever since then and then he was one of the first guys that i had mentioned hey i'm thinking about starting a podcast uh what do you think and he's like you know it's a great idea it helps you get your story get out there the whole nine yards if you need any help let me know and then I kind of let the idea fall to the wayside for a little bit, picked it back up again once we started the move because I wasn't busy enough. And uh, and anyway, I told him, hey, this is what I'm doing. What do you, what do you suggest? And like, or how do you suggest I start this up? And he started telling me, he's like, well, you know, we run the Welding Tips and Tricks podcast as if it's a a company and this is how you set up the back end and this is how you set up the legal side of it and one thing and the other so Jonathan has been a huge help in actually getting the veteran welding podcast up and running so thank you very much for that Jonathan and welcome to the show thanks for having me appreciate it very much yeah, no problem you and I we've been talking back and forth for quite a while now I'd say about well actually a couple of years since I was on your podcast and everything from like tips and tricks on how to sort problems out in the shop, but more so with setting up of this podcast. So thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. Um, no but I'd like to talk to like, like you to start chinwagging a bit about on how you got into, in, got into the industry. Like what's your Genesis story? How'd you get started? Why welding? Why welding? That's a good, a good question, honestly. So way back when, Back before I was even married, you know, as a young teenager, I remember driving down the highway specifically and looking at people welding and always wondering, what does it look like? You know, behind their hood or their helmet, what does it look like? What are they seeing? And it always intrigued me in the back of my mind. Never really gave it a thought as a career path until my wife and I were married for about a year, maybe, give or take, when uh, I needed to find a better job. And she found a ad for a helper position at a local welding company. So to make the long story short, I, I did get hired in as a helper and rapidly progressed from helper to welder to in, end up getting into the field and uh, doing installation, structural steel, stairs, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. 
realized that uh, I felt I was good at it and I could make a career out of it, not only a career, but plans to make a, a business out of it, you know, to start my own business, which is what I did with Superior Welding, you know, later on down the road. Um, that's how I really fell into it. You know, honestly, it, uh, it just came to be, I guess it was meant to be in many cases there. And in fact, to back up, you know, when I first started learning welding, I wanted to take a welding class at the local career center. And it was, I don't remember what it was, a couple hundred bucks or whatever it was. I approached my employer and asked, Hey, can I take this stick welding course? And of course he didn't necessarily want me to do that. And I eventually was just like, look, if you're not going to let me do it, I'll pay for it myself. And he's like, no, 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 we'll pay for it. We'll send you there. So that opened up a lot of doors. And uh, that 40-hour course actually led into, was the beginning of Superior. I met my instructor and uh, there, and we, we're still friends to this day, and went to actually work for him part-time in the evening. And that is really what jump-started my passion for welding. I wasn't the best at stick welding of course you know when we started but eventually became decent at it and then progressed into you know spray mig and flux core and tig and uh, that's a short version i guess of how i got into the industry you primarily then just do like structural work heavier repair work stuff like that correct yeah yeah we do a mix of things today anyway we do production our, our company is really divided in, in three segments we do the structural steel the mobile welding um, the production work and some machining work that goes along with that and uh, sanitary. We do quite a bit of you know, sanitary, whether it's sanitary tubing or just stainless sheet that supports you know, that industry. So basically that's the three, three segments we do today. Nice. And how many guys do you have working with you? Uh, currently today there's two, um, there's my wife and I, and uh, then I have two other employees um, at, at this point today. We've been as big as five, and we're down to two right now. Okay, and you just you put you bring guys on us for contract as you need them, and so on and so forth, like that. I assume. Yep, that's correct. Yep, okay. we did a couple projects out of state, and uh, used two good friends of ours, and that project came to an end. Of course, they went on to their back to their their stuff. So I got one guy that's doing our CNC machining, and then we have one guy that helps us in the shop right now. I've been following you guys on Instagram there, and I you guys are growing like crazy. Like it's your, your, your scope seems to be widening quarter by quarter, which is nice to see. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing to look back. Even this applies to you too. Honestly, we can all look back and, you know, we can say, wow, I didn't think I'd be here. You know, this specifically here today, never would have imagined kind of stuff. Oh yeah. I 100% agree. Okay, so so how long have you been welding then? Like 10, 12 years? Uh, yeah, it's been, I think I started welding when I was about 20. I'm 33 now, so about 13 years, 12, 13 years, something like that. What was the deciding factor to push you towards starting Superior? Was it like j just something you've always wanted to do, like run your own company? Or was it just like you got sick and tired of people doing things a certain way and you knew you could be done better? Or like how, how did that come to fruition uh i would say it's a mix of of everything you just said when i actually first started superior i actually wanted to call it superior fabrication but the name was was you know taken in the state of ohio and my original goal was to manufacture products that would support the automotive industry like the off-road muscle car industry 
and uh, wasn't really successful at that. I didn't have a, a plan, and I was really, really young, probably, I think, 22, 23 years old. And so, you know, I really didn't do too well at that. And honestly, I've always wanted to have my own business. Um, I've been in muscle cars and just the car industry and off-road and everything most of my life. What I originally thought was I would start a business doing muscle car restorations. I mean, that has not happened until recently. But, uh, you know, it just led from one thing to the other. And I realized that uh, I felt that I could do it better, you know, kind of one of those things than my employer or others. And uh, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but it definitely drove me to, to start Superior and then to grow it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because you just picked up a new car there a couple days ago, didn't you? To start restoring? <laughs> I've had that for about a year, actually a little over a year now. So uh, when I, my wife and I got married, I've always been a, I've always been in the muscle car scene. I grew up with it. My, my dad, um, I, I got to blame him for that, give him the credit for it, whichever way you look at it. And uh, I've had a lot of Pontiacs mainly, um, Grand Prix and Trans Ams. And uh, when we got married, I had, I've had a ton of cars, let's put it that way. When I started Superior, I sold all of them. And, uh, I, I, you know, that was what I helped use to help fund my company, which at the time meant that I needed to buy a TIG welder and, and several other things. So I, I got out of it for, let's just say 10 years. And finally I just had enough of it. I was like, you know what? I, I want a toy really honestly, I just want a hobby again. And so I picked up another, another muscle car to start working on. And, and what is it? I, this one is a 1971 Pontiac Grand Prix. Okay, nice. What are the plans? Uh, the plans are, well, I've already have the uh, rebuilt motor. So we did all, I, I worked on it for probably, I'm going to say two, three months, maybe four months. Pretty, pretty good, decently anyway. And uh, we pulled the motor out and rebuilt it. It's completely fresh, fresh turbo 400. And uh, the plans are is to rip all the rest of the suspension out and make it a pro touring type build. Um, I want to get back into autocross. When I left the muscle car world, I was starting to get into autocross and that's what I kind of like to get back into. Of course, you know, as a, a daily driver capabilities as well, but that's, that's the plans anyway, in my spare time. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't get too much of that running your own business. No, yeah. not really. Nice. So, so for the, for that car, then you, are you just bringing it back to like refreshing everything back to stock or are you, did you like bore it out a bit and tinker fart with the heads and what one thing, and the other, cause I, I'm, I don't know. I'm just curious. We don't have autocross up here in Canada and I wish we did. So I'm, I'm really curious. Like how, how did you, what did you do to it? So the, this motor I bought from a friend, um, it wasn't original to the car, I guess to, to back up here. <clears throat> so we just had it rebuilt basically to factory specs pretty much. Um, and I say rebuilt, you know, we put new rings in it, new bearings. Um, I didn't. So I had them put a slightly hotter cam in it and that's pretty much it. It's uh, it's a pretty mild, you know, mild build, um, roughly maybe 300, 350 to the crank horsepower. I wanted to throw the motor together mainly so I could get it running. The plans are is I've always wanted a supercharged, you know, blower sticking through the hood, you know, 671 supercharger. Yeah. That's what I'd like to do down the road, you know, if I ever get to that. But uh, I knew that if I originally started building that motor to get to that point, it probably would never happen. So I set a budget in my mind and just had the motor rebuilt. And we have the uh, fast EFI conversion system already. You know, I bought it like a year ago. <laughs> and so I got a lot of parts for it. 
but the plan is is to leave the body the way it is. It's it's pretty patinaed. It's all the original color, faded. It's got some rust on it, but uh, I think it looks pretty cool. It, it kind of fits into the new. I shouldn't say new, but you know, it seems to be the fad for today. But uh, I basically want to make it, you know, a Corvette killer with a suspension and uh, leave the body alone, at least for now. That is that is going to be one hell of a journey to make that thing into a Corvette killer. Yeah, so my the original idea was to make it a Tesla killer. My sister has a Tesla Model 3. Holy crap. And it's, it's a pretty quick car. And so, I mean, it won't be a Tesla killer with the stock motor by any means, but uh, I keep picking on her saying that eventually I'll outrun her. <laughs> Handling wise, you know, I might. Um, we're going to put a full system on on it for the suspension. It'll be mini tubbed and either run three fifteens all the way around or like three thirty fives in the back, three fifteens in the front. So it'll 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 handle. That's the plan. Nice. That is awesome. All right. Cool. So let's uh, stop chasing the squirrel a little bit because it, <laughs> well, it, it, fun stuff. <laughs> I I know. I know. We'll we'll get back to that in a little bit probably, but let's kind of get back to the show a little bit so you fired up you kicked off uh superior welding and you started going from there how did you what were some of the obstacles let's start with that that you first hit and how did you overcome them when you were starting the company when i first started the company in all honesty it was you know a hobby you know i never really of course you know, on the back of your mind you're like oh i wonder if i can make this a full-time gig and we ran it part-time probably for six years out of my garage, you know, where it was like barely bringing any money in. So I, w- I would have to say the first obstacle was realizing that I could make this work. Um, you know, that there was plenty of work out there and I could be competitive in the market. Once I realized that, and once we started realizing that this could be a real thing and I started going after more work, we started looking at the numbers and like, yeah, we can, you know, we can definitely make a living. You know, at the time when we went from part-time to full-time, it was really a decision that we could bring in enough just to feed our family. Um, you know, now we've been blessed, you know, but en- with enough to not only feed our family, but, you know, buy new toys and of course have a few employees uh, along the way as well. But uh, I think that, I think if I were to say that probably one of the first struggles, I guess was, would be that. Um, and honestly, I think a lot of us still struggle with that, that, Hey, this is a thing we can definitely make it work, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. So, and then from there, okay. I mean, really from there, from there, really, it comes to, you know, that I can grow it you know, I can sustain it and this can go on to be a thing. You know, it's not necessarily that's something that's going to fade out and I can grow it to whatever I wanted it to be, honestly, whether it's one, if it's just me or a hundred, um, obviously, you know, it takes a lot of time to get to those goals, but you know, it can, it can be a real thing. Yeah. Now it is, it is real, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah. You, you were talking about how, when you first kicked off, you wanted to have it. So you were doing like a lot of muscle car stuff and along those lines, but now you are, you're nowhere near that. You're, you're on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. What was the realization where it was, okay, this is where we're going. Was it like a, the work was just coming in and was naturally that way. Or was it like, no, I need to make a hard decision and go this way or because this is where the money is or leave the automotive side of the house because there is no money there or not enough money. Like how did you make that swing going from one to the other? I would have to, I'd have to say that 
definitely I realized I wasn't a very good salesman for the product I was trying to make, and it was very competitive. Um, one of the items that I wanted to make was auto rotisseries, and I received some pretty good threats from one of the manufacturers at the at that time. And at the time, of course, I didn't have the money to fight it, and I didn't know nothing about you know patents and all that other nonsense. And honestly, it really, really boiled back down to the work naturally came. So probably the first things I really got into was like repairing like aircraft parts, uh, like little Cessnas, you know, private little aircraft like that. Mm-hmm. And that led into more of the commercial stuff. And eventually I got brave enough to go after some of the bigger you know, customers in the area. And honestly, it just, it just snowballed from there. You know, I started doing some work for a machine shop locally, still do work for them today. And it was like, you know, I mean, it's great to manufacture parts if you can sell them. But at the time when I was that young, I just couldn't do it. Now we manufacture a few products um, and it's a very niche product. And I think I'm decently well, pretty, pretty good at selling them anyway. I could probably do better. What, and, what are uh, those products? Yeah, I, so today we manufacture a back purge or a purge fixture. Um, that's our main product or one of our first products, I guess, I got back into for like aerospace tests. Um, our customers there are aerospace and schools. So we don't really sell many to the public. Maybe that's a marketing flaw on my part, but you know, not really m- many people need one of those. And they're pretty expensive for what they are, what they do, unless you're taking a lot of welding tests. That led into a few other small products, which eventually led into welding coupons and uh, both plate and sheet, pipe. And so that's kind of where we, for product-wise, that's where we sell. That's it's a small portion of our business, but uh, I guess I'm getting back into some of the product or, or becoming a manufacturer to a small degree. And that's why we got into CNC and everything, too. Okay. All right. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that's a, that's a bad thing with selling just to schools and stuff like that because, y- yeah, they might not buy every single month, but when school's in session, chances are they're – they're selling so yeah we generally have seen we sell them in the spring and the fall and uh, i know a lot of budgets reset you know I, I guess anyway it seems to be um usually schools order six at a time aerospace it can be anywhere from two to six so we keep right now we've got like 15 or 20 of them in stock ready for the the spring here we've already been getting inquiries so yeah, it's something I definitely probably need to do better at marketing a lot of my products, honestly. <laughs> but uh, it was been a, it was kind of one of those things that I fell into it. It's like, oh, I could make one of these, and then somebody saw one, it's like, oh, I'll buy one, and then I was like, oh, well, I could, you know, make more of these and sell them. Anyway, it just evolved into, you know, what it is today. Like I said, which is a small portion of our business, but something we're very we're very proud of. Nice. And what what are you running for equipment there for your CNC? Because you picked that up about a year and a half ago, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, we purchased a, a Tormach 770M, and it does really good. Manufacture your own products. Um, picked it up for that specific reason, to do the purge blocks and a few products that we manufacture for other people. Um, we don't sell. You know, we don't sell. We're just a manufacturer of those. And I picked it up to, to do the purge blocks and a few other small things. Uh, some of them things that we never launched before. And maybe one day we'll actually launch some of these other parts. But then we started, started to try to go after CNC work. And we found that we're just not competitive. You're trying to keep up with the hauses and you know the higher end machines. So I've re- really, really rethought our plan for the machining side of things. And we're really going to cut back just to do our own products. 
so you started your company and you said you you started finding out that you were better at the the structural side of the house and manufacturing and all that. Uh, actually, no, no, hold on a second. Let's back up. What were the threats that you were getting? Like how? Like what? 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 Not exactly what the threat was, but what line did you cross? Because I think that'd be a good thing to talk about. Because for anybody who's starting their own business, if like obviously you don't want to step on anybody else's toes, but you need to know how close you can get to stepping on their toes before you get in shit. So right, what what happened there? Yeah, well, before we get into that, one of the things that I would advise anybody that even wants to start their own business, I've, I've, we've mentioned this on our podcast, I've mentioned it in private, uh, anybody that asks about starting a business, definitely set your business up with an attorney. Um, you can set up with an accountant, and, and there's other ways you can do it yourself. But one of the things that we've learned on uh, being in business now almost eight years or almost nine years, I guess, is we should have set it up a little differently. Um, and, and that leads into the following. So when... I set it up, like I said, I, I wanted to play with everything. So there's two things that go, go along this path. When I set it up, you know, I, I wanted to play around and, and manufacture a product, and my then employer knew what I was doing and had no problem with it. Well, when I started getting into larger commercial projects, making very large things, that became a problem. Um, that resulted into legal um a legal dispute, we'll put it that way, that got me fired from that job. But, you know, I also learned, don't do that. You know, there, there are things you, you can do and there are things you can't do. Um, don't talk about it very often because obviously I've, you know, I'm always, you know, I don't know what to say, whatever. Um, but, you know, I will say that, you know, just be very careful of what you do when you get to that. So far as the, the manufacturing of the parts, um, you know, I was, you know, again, young. You know, you don't know everything there is to know. At least I didn't. And so I started, you know, making these auto rotisseries. In fact, I still have two of them. <laughs> They're, they've been sitting for 10 years. And, you know, this, this manufacturer was, uh, looking back, I think he's more scared. Um, he's now out of business. And uh, now, you know, seeing where he's not at today, I think he was just scared. He knew that, you know, what, I think China, you know, they re, these products were being manufactured so cheaply overseas or whatever. Mm-hmm. Don't know what the real reasons all were, obviously. But uh, I was naive or brave, whichever way you look at it, to walk up to him and start asking questions, not even thinking about that he would have a serious problem with me manufacturing a product very similar to his. Uh, my product is, is different that I, I even feel to this day, but we never sold a single one. Um, I, may, I Well, I take that back. I, I, I made one for myself that I put a Trans Am on for myself, and we eventually sold that one. Um, but you know, it never really got into like a, a legal fight, but you know, definitely got some threats. Um, where the other one definitely went, you know, involved in turnings and all that. I'll, I'll just say, just do your homework before you, you know, set up your business or you know, do different things. Especially if you're employed with somebody like a welding company, you want to start a welding company. There's just uh, there are ways around certain things, and there are things that can get you in trouble. And if you want to do a product, you know, just make sure there's no patents. Yeah. Or make sure there's nothing else that would be that gets you in trouble. I'm a firm believer now today. <clears throat> I'm a firm believer now today that, you know, when you want to make a decision with your company, not everything, but definitely don't be afraid to run it past your attorney um, because they're going to be able to tell you, hey, you need to look at this or you need to consider this, this else, other thing before you go down this path. Now, I don't know what it's like stateside, but up here, it, it it really depends on what the product is that you're selling, whether or not somebody can come after you for it. So like if 
let's say you're making uh, purge blocks just for conversation's sake. There's only so many different ways that you can you can make a purge block. So you can have it up to I think it's like eighty. I'm gonna I'm gonna say seventy percent uh, the same as everybody else's before they come after you and start saying, oh, you know, this has to change and that has to change. From what I understand, again, I'm not an attorney and I don't know, pretend to know all of the laws. That's why you know, we, we pay an attorney for most of the stuff. But, you know, there are, from what I understand, you know, certain percentages that you could change a product. Um, but some of that stuff that we've got into, we looked at manufacturing another product and it became such a gray area. We never even made one um, publicly whatsoever because it just got to be to where it was like, well, you could be sued kind of a thing. And at the time, I'm yeah. not saying I would do it today, but at the time, for sure, I didn't have the money for it. And I was really, really scared about, you know, losing everything a little bit more, maybe more brave today. Mm-hmm. But uh, I also understand a little bit more today, too. So did your your company then, do you have it set up at like LLC, a trademark uh, as a company or we, is it sole proprietorship? It is a partnership LLC. So my wife owns half the company. OK, um, when we started it. We used uh, LegalZoom, actually, dot com. To set it up, and at the time it was fine. Um, I will say now we've ran into some to some issues with growth that we're going to be changing to an S corp. Um, so we're we're just totally, basically redoing how we you know have it all set up right now for the better. Nothing nothing bad. We can continue to operate as an LLC the way we are for forever, but to grow in the areas that we want to grow in the way that we want to grow, we're going to be redoing. Our company. That's why I, I can now look back and, and, and see if I had a solid plan that I was going to go after, you know, seven, eight, nine figure jobs, or I was going to go do this, or maybe my specific goal was oil and gas or whatever. That's where you can look, really look and see long-term your attorney or your accountant. If you want to use your accountant, you know, they can look and say, Hey, you know, Maybe seven LLC now, switch to an S corp, or maybe you need to set up with an S corp or C corp or whatever sole proprietorship. What, um, whatever what, it could be. What's so, sorry to cut you off, but what are you talking about S corp or C corp? We we don't have that up here. So I'm just, I, I just want to like for people who are listening and they're looking at setting up their own company, just so they know the differences between them. Yeah, and I, I couldn't explain to you like all the differences. I, I'll just say that they're just different ways that you would file taxes, basically. You would set it up as uh, you know different ownership structures, different ways you file taxes and and whatnot. And and to be completely honest, I don't understand everything. I've been sitting through a lot of different conversations with our attorney, our accountants, and advisors on what we should do, what they feel that we should do. And I understand some of it, or most of it, or maybe just a little bit of it. And uh, I still have a long way to go, so I don't feel that I'm the one to definitely explain that. And uh, I'm not sure that. S Corp and C Corp is, uh, I don't think it's Canadian, is it? That, that's more just the United States, I imagine. Yeah, that's just stateside. Like, so, so up here, w- when I was talking to my accountant, uh, he, like, I, I told him, like, you know, I'm starting a company, one thing, the other. And at the time, like, I, I was just starting a company. I hadn't even registered veteran welding yet. And he's just like, okay, well, what are you going to do for, like, your, your company? Like, how are you going to register it? And I was, once again, like completely oblivious. I'm like, I'm going to walk into the registry's office and register it like that. Like that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and right. And he's like, no, no, no. Like you, you have, like 
are you going to be making, I think it's like $30,000 or less a year? It's like, well, hopefully not. Like I want to make more than that. And he's like, okay, right. well then I'd go company. Uh, Cause you have Inc LLC company. And then I'm pretty sure that's it for up here. Uh, but re- the way he told me was like th- those three there, it's just, what do you like the sound of better? He's like, they're pretty much the exact same thing. The only difference between those three and sole proprietor is like, let's say I build something and somebody gets injured. Well, as a sole proprietor, they can come back and hit me personally. So anything that my family's attached to the whole nine yards, they can come back, hit that and screw me over pretty much. Whereas the other three, they can come back bankrupt veteran welding if they if they wanted to. But that's where it ends. That's exactly where it ends. It, it, it's the, it's support. It divides Chris Reader from Veteran Welding. Right. And the, one caveat to that is as long as you don't intermingle your finances, that's going to be one of the biggest things. Oh, is, yeah. uh, you know, we started LLC for the protection originally of the products that we manufactured or mm-hmm. that we were looking to manufacture. And, of course, welding jobs. You know, we didn't want the liability to come after me personally. Um, through the past two or three years, we've changed things, even how we own different different things like our vehicles, our home, our, our property, uh, our shop and everything. And then we'll be changing them again here in the next few months, um, you know, have holding companies and, and whatnot. So, and again, I, I'm definitely not the guy that has all the answers for that, but I, I would encourage anybody, obviously check with your attorney. You'll get legal advice before you set, set up your business because you want to, you want to know all about everything you just said. You want to protect yourself and your family the absolute best way you possibly can. You know, the worst thing that could happen in my mind is, you know, I, I do something wrong, you know, or something just happens and my family loses everything, you know? Um, so today, like, you know, we don't, the company doesn't own the building that we, we, uh, are in today. Um, that's owned by something else and, you know, superior rents, leases the building. And so there's other, there's ways to protect it. And of course we don't, we do not intermingle our finances and, you know, there's just all kinds of, of fun stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Put it that way. Yeah. There, there, it's, it is interesting. Oh yeah. It's, it's very interesting. I know, uh, that, that was, that, that was the one thing that I was told right from the get go is like, if you're starting a company, spend two good money on two things. One, a good lawyer two a good, uh, accountant because, they'll save you more money in the long run than anything else. Like when we, I agree. when we sat there and we fired up veteran welding, I poured in my, like my entire life savings into it. And my accountant's just like, okay, all right, well, you're not going to have to pay taxes for like the next, however many years. And it's like, well, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, you put like, you put six figures into this company, like just for conversation's sake, you put six figures into this company. Well, now, when you get paid back, you get paid back in dividends and dividends are tax free. So you can sit there and for like the next year and a half, two years, however long it takes you to get paid for veteran welding to pay Chris Reader back, you're tax free. And it's just like, what? Seriously? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, holy crap. And then just different ways on structuring things. You mentioned uh, holding companies. We never really thought about that at all. But he's like, if you start getting into bigger and bigger projects he's like right now you don't have to do that but if you start going on to like building structures and stuff like that he's like i highly highly recommend you do this because then if 
veteran welding screws up, well, then they can only come after veteran welding. And if veteran welding rents all of its equipment that this holding company owns, well, at the end of the day, they really can't do anything. They, right. Like they can, they can go after your bank account and that's pretty much about it. So you're not screwed to the point where you have to buy all new equipment or start looking for good used equipment again. And it, it was one of those things where it's just like, how is this legal? Like this almost seems criminal, but he's like, that's how they do it. You, you look at a lot of these like multi-million dollar companies that are out building skyscrapers and bridges and freeways and stuff like that. And there's the big name, but they're attached to a numbered company. And it's like, yeah. oh, good to know. Okay. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I'm not saying when you first are starting in your garage, maybe you need to do that. Maybe you do, because it really depends on what you are doing at present and what you feel you're going to be doing down the road. Now, had I known that I was going to be going down the road that I am today, I would have done some of the things that we're doing now years ago. It would have been a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, many things a lot simpler moving forward. But, you know, you live and you learn, honestly. And that's where podcasts like this hopefully come into play where you can, you know, hear a few things that, oh, I didn't think of that. But, uh, but yeah, the, the holding company, the, the holding companies, the, you know, property management companies, I mean, it could be anything. And there are other ways to get your money out. Um, you're always going to pay tax. You know, at the end of the day, from what I've always understood, at some point you're going to pay tax. Sometimes it's a matter of what percentage you're going to pay tax and how long can you defer that tax. Exactly. The longer you can de- defer it, the the better. But yeah, at the end of the day, the the man it will always get paid. There's no way around it. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, so when you started your company and you got it up and running, and that how how did you how, how did you go about creating culture in there? Like how did you go and say, okay, I want to. I've seen these flaws in companies I worked in before. I'm not going to do that or. Uh, like, how did you go about that, or was it something you just didn't even think of? No, I, I, I would think that I definitely purposely thought of like how tos and how not tos, based off of what I've seen. Not, not necessarily always with the past employers, but I've seen with other people that have started companies or own companies or work for companies. Um, the positives, the negatives, and I decided what I wanted to implement. So far as you know, how we treat people, or at least how we try to treat people. You know, we're human. Um, you know, and what kind of a culture we wanted to set up, you know, what kind of atmosphere do we have? Do, do we want to be the kind of company that just cracking the whip and all we care about is production or do we want to go after quality or, or what? I know, you know, I, I definitely hit learned. So I would say I would look back over, let's say the past 10 years, the 10 years before I went on my own. And I definitely picked out very specific things that a wife and I sat down and like, we're not doing this. Um, and I don't want to get it all down a bunch of rabbit holes, but I hundred percent, you know, looked at, Hey, I'm not going to treat people this way. You know, I want to do this kind of a thing with like maybe bonuses or whatever down the road. Some of these things we've not got to, you know, yet we're, we're just not there yet. Um, other things like when I worked at uh, my, you know, uh, Bras Fund USA, which is a foundation construction company, international, they're based out of South America. I saw how they did things and I was like, yeah. I've, I've learned you know, both how to do things, but a lot of how not to do things. And that really led me into, I think, honestly, it really was a springboard where you talk about the catalyst, you know, a second ago, mm-hmm. that was a huge catalyst of when I, when I do 
get bigger, <laughs> let's put it that way, then I'm, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do that, you know, and, and that was huge for me. And I honestly feel that I have an advantage for myself having learned some of that stuff, you know, as opposed to possibly just waking up one day, oh, I'm going to start a welding company, you know, <laughs> and not, not knowing nothing about management. Um, I was fortunate to have always, not always, but, you know, I got to a certain point in the welding company I worked for that I was, you know, quote unquote managing. Not that I was like a manager and got paid as a manager, but I definitely managed projects, managed jobs. I had a lot of responsibility. And then I was the fabrication manager for Brosfon. So I led a small team. And so that really opened my eyes to how to treat people. Um, I'm not perfect. I'll, I'll admit that, you know, right off the bat, 100%. But I definitely learned a few things that I shouldn't do or, you know, how people shouldn't be treated. And, you know, and, and I'm a firm believer that, you know, if you treat somebody like trash, they're going to treat you like trash. Treat them good. They're going to treat you good. Um, you know, I think that that's, you know, 100% true. So I, I try to always treat employees, contractors, suppliers, you know, the best way that I possibly can. Yeah. Well, makes sense. Cause then at the end of the day, they'll, they'll surprise you in ways you're not expecting it. So. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, you're talking about like treat people very well. You have a few suppliers that we've treated very well. We've helped them. I've went out of my way to be kind and nice to them because that's who I feel that I am. But also because I know that in treating them that way, that they're going to bend over backwards for me. One of the suppliers are, is one of our main steel suppliers. You know, I mean, occasionally they get really busy and they can't service me for a few days or a week. But mm. because, you know, and they've told me, you know, because the way you treated us, you know, they will give me preferential treatment and I'll get stuff done. And that's been a huge, huge blessing and a benefit to running and growing superior. Yeah, that I, I, the exact same thing here. I know what my uh, supplier for aluminum, I've sat there and I've been like, yeah, this is what I'm ordering. And Berlin's been like, well, what are you building? And as soon as I told him, he's like, ah, that, uh, no, 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 don't do that. You're, you're overbuilding this. You're underbuilding that. Cause he's been in the industry for God going on 20 plus years. Like he, he, he's knocking on the door of retirement from where he's at right now. And mm-hmm. like the, the wealth of knowledge is just amazing. And he, like, he'll sit there and that a few times he's been like, listen, we can't deliver to where you are on this date because you know, our truck just doesn't go down there, but you're going to have the product because we know we, once again, you, you're always great to us. You, every time I go in there, I try to bring him a coffee if he's in there and just he'll, he'll send it out on a shuttle truck. But like, here you go. Don't worry about it. It's like, thank you. So, yeah. Yeah. It pays off. It does pay off in the end. Oh yeah. Yeah. Might not be right away, but down the road, it definitely will. Mm -hmm. So, so have you ever worked with uh, vets at all by any chance? I have. Yes. Um, Not myself. I've not not hired a vet, um, you know, so far as superior, but I've worked with a few in the past for sure. Yeah. Okay. How, How did you find that experience? Well, <laughs> my experience, to be to be honest with you, has been uh, not the best, um, and that's not a reflection on vets as a whole. Uh, but you know, I listened to you talk about PTSD and the effects that that has had. I've been involved in some counseling that's revolved around PTSD. I'm definitely not an expert with it, but uh, I remember one instance, and, and I knew you're going to ask me about this one, or at least I thought you would anyway. But, uh, you know, during the Iraq war, um, you know, the war on terrorism, um, I remember the exact year, 
But uh, I remember one of my most distinct um, negative um, experiences with working with a vet. And I say that super respectfully because, you know, everybody's different and everybody handles things so differently is uh, I did work with a, um, a sniper of all things, actually, okay. that had came back from from war. And I mean, he was messed up. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Uh, he was pretty in a pretty rough place and very grumpy, um, very, very mad, very angry. At the time, I was probably 24, maybe something like that. And again, I'm not saying I understand everything, you know, mm-hmm. just so far as PTSD. I've never enlisted and never been a soldier. Definitely respect everybody that serves, you know, our country or, or your country or any country for that matter, really. But uh, I definitely also understand that there are some effects that uh, mentally you know, that come back for that. My grandpa was in the Gulf War, and uh, he you know, had a lot of negative effects um, from that as far as mentally and uh, physically and everything. And so this guy was my first experience, I guess, working with uh, you know, ex-military. And I was warned when I first got there. It's like, hey, you know, he's, you know, I don't know what they told me exactly, but you know, he's got some, some issues, so to say. And uh, just kind of leave alone, and okay. he ended up suicide. Um, oh, shit. Not too long, not too long after that, yeah, he he did commit suicide, and he was the son of one of the more prominent business owners in this area, and so that really was my first experience. Again, not not super positive, but that opened my eyes to. I don't know how to how to really say that because I, again, I, I just feel inadequate really even talking about some of that stuff. But really, opened my eyes to the needs of veterans. Yeah, and uh, you know, definitely, you know, there's definitely a lot of um, there's just a lot, a lot of some of them need more help than others, I guess. And yeah. uh, and I do have family that have been in the military and everything, but uh, I, I do remember that that was a huge uh, impact on my life. Moving forward, it was just uh, I worked with him probably for a couple weeks before he committed suicide, and it was just like wow, you know, I didn't realize. You know, you hear stories all the time about you know people that take other people's lives, and and uh, one guy made a huge, huge mistake, <laughs> in my opinion, of asking him how many people he killed. That was just that was not the best of ideas, and I even remember being that young. My parents raised me better than that, I guess. They, they always you know, taught me, hey, that's just not a question you ask. You know, if they volunteer, it comes up in conversation. Everybody, because you don't know. You know if I asked you oh, how yeah. many people you killed, I don't know how you reacted to that. I don't know how you feel about it. And this guy went off the handle. And uh, not too long after that, you know, is when he took his life. But it was just that really opened my eyes to <laughs> being yeah. very careful. Yeah. Now, my, 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 I wasn't trying to pigeonhole you. I should have said, I should have. I should have opened with that. I didn't, I don't want to pigeonhole you in any, any way, but like no, you're good. What, what I wanted my, what my intent is and was, was to sit there and just talk about it because a lot of guys who are in this position where they're or in your position, where they're working with a guy who is edgy all the time, they don't know how to handle them. They don't know what to do. Um, stuff like that. So just kind of like my goal is to just talk about it and see like, you know, what was the environment like? Do you think the, the environment was good for him, bad for him? Because I know me personally, I worked at a shop and this is before like I was actually properly diagnosed with it, with PTSD. But like I'd sit there and there was like the place was an absolute pigsty and something that I didn't know was like a, for lack of a better term, I hate the term, but trigger was um, when you're doing like the, the flux core, 
you know how you get the well, the hard scale that falls off when it breaks underneath right. your boots like it, it's like fuck it feels like sand like i'm like i'm back overseas again sand underneath my boots and it so right. now i just always have a broom with me if i'm doing that and just sweep it under the table or guys would sit there and they'd carry like three plates of like five by ten or whatever like three three eighths a piece with the crane and like oh you know it falls falls out of the clamp and they're just like oh whatever and meanwhile i'm sitting there and it's like well fuck like what the fuck do it properly like come on man um yeah so that stuff like that like it's just if you're hiring guys not not you but like whoever's listening to this if you're working with vets these are like little things to try and keep in the keep in the back of your mind where it's just like okay all right because and feel free to point it out to them because i know it wasn't until a while later we had a guy uh his I can't remember his last name, but his, his first name was Ian. I know that. And he was, he was from Scotland and he had fought in the Balkans and one thing and the other like that. And we were just chin wagging back and forth. And he pointed it out to me. He's like, just try it. Just, just, just try it. Sweep the shit underneath. And at the end of the day, you got to clean it up anyway. It's like, all right, cool. And it, it helped. So. Yeah. And I don't want to paint a picture that, you know, everyone that was a veteran or is a veteran or, you know, serving the country, is, you know, they require special treatment on every little thing, you know, but there are some instances where it's just, it's just not, not wise, I guess, to create the trigger. So fast forward later on, several years ago, um, I worked with another gentleman that uh, was in the military and I can't remember what branch he was, he was in. And the environment, talk about the environment being positive or negative. Uh, I believe looking back that the environment that he worked in with us was positive. Now he has some triggers as well, um, you know, loud noises and whatnot that uh, would set him off, so to speak. But so far as like the environment being good for him, maybe, maybe to keep his mind off of it, obviously to provide for his family and everything, best thing that could happen to him, honestly. Um, you know, he was able to use his hands and, and, you know, you hear this all the time, you know, you kind of want to come back and you want to do something, you know, you want to make a difference. Everybody wants to make a difference. Exactly. Whether in, but they want to make a difference. And this, this individual, definitely hundred percent, you know, he, he was super, super good. And what he did, um, super, super good guy. Um, there were a few, again, it seems like maybe everybody, I, I shouldn't say everybody because I really don't know everybody, obviously, but you might have a trigger. And you just just be careful, you know. And in that, in that shop there, I was, again, not a manager manager, but I definitely was, you know, I had, a, I had some say anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would just tell people, hey, look, you know, don't, don't do this, don't do that, and you're good. You know, short list. And uh, there's nothing wrong. You know, don't make loud noises. Don't try to smack a hammer and scare the dude. And, <laughs> you know, there's there's just no need for some of that stuff in the first place. But so far as, you know, these guys that maybe were suffering PTSD or they just have, you know, memories. Um, another guy that I know, it's actually my old boss. He was uh, in Vietnam. And oh, he's, he's talked to us. That's, that was my boss at Brosfond. Uh, uh, He's a Vietnam you know, veteran, and I've, I've heard probably about every story he's ever told in his life. But there are even – he's – what he's like almost 70 or something like that. Anyway, whatever age he is, he's been out for a long time. But even to this day, there's still you know triggers that, w- that would get him. But, you know, he's had a positive environment. You know, I want to try to swing this back to the positive side. He came back, started – got married, worked for a couple places for many years and started his own business and then went into consulting and then, you know, we were friends to, to this day, but you know, he was able to use that training 
uh, that knowledge that he had to start a business for 23 years and then get into consulting and, you know, doing very, very well for himself and not let what happened to him, you know, in Vietnam, get him down. Um, you definitely, you know, you hear the stories of, you know, he, he eventually, I, so I've known him for, I've probably known him for 10 years and probably two or three years ago, he on his own opened up and just started telling me things, you know, about what happened. You know, he always tell us stories, but he just finally, I guess he got comfortable and just, you know, told us things that I never knew, you know, mm-hmm. the, the death tolls and, you know, the, how many people, he was a sniper, uh, actually. And, uh, you know, it just, it just was amazing, you know, honestly, to look back at, you know, what he made of his life when he could have very easily said, hey, I was sent to Vietnam, screw my government, screw whatever, you know, now I'm going to live in a bottle or I'm going to be depressed all my life. Not that everybody does that, but, oh, no, you know, no. it's, good, it's good to put yourself in that positive environment, honestly, and to, to, to try to do something with your hands or whatever you'd like to do. Yeah. I know that, that, that's one of the things I found extremely therapeutic when I first kicked off was when I first just got it into welding before I even decided I'm going to quit the military or start my own business or anything like that. But j- just sitting there and being like, okay, I need to solve this problem. I need to create a four link in a vehicle that was de- not designed for it. How the hell am I going to do it? That process of sitting there and taking something that isn't supposed to be there and make it properly work it was extremely therapeutic because it's, it's keeping your fucking mind busy. Cause that's the worst thing you can do when you're, if you, if you have PTSD or you've, you know, had to do your job overseas is just sit there and do nothing and drink. Right. It's the worst thing because then your mind just runs. And it's like, as soon if you get into that rut and you stay in that rut, it is so hard to get out of it. Right. Yeah. And I'm that way, you know, so far as like doing nothing, I, I can't, I just can't do it. You know, my wife's always, you know, a pace. If I get to sit there, I can only imagine going through some of those experiences, you know, and, and then having nothing to do, uh, definitely keep yourself busy, you know, yeah. with, with what you do. And again, I, I'm not the person to give advice on that, but I've seen several people, um, you know, okay, of course, you know, I've got more negative stories, but we don't want to dwell on the negative, you yeah. want to dwell on the positive exactly. of everything. Yeah. And uh, honestly, we, my wife and I have talked about that. You know, so far as growth, veterans are definitely on our list, um, if you will, of you know hires down the road uh, because they do have a place. You know, they everybody has a place. You know what I'm saying? And we would like to. There's a lot of skills. I remember when I first talked to you. I think it was you I talked to. You know, the the skills that you can learn um, and apply in business. I think it was. It had to be you, I guess. Yep. You know, talk about like what you've learned in the military, whatever branch you was, whatever country you served, how that would apply and really push you forward into a business. And that doesn't have to be a welding business. It could be anything. And I, f- I feel that those skills are valuable to me as an employer. You know, if I need a, a manager or I need a marketing specialist or I need a safety, you know, guy or girl, you know, you could really apply yourself just like they did in the military and and be a huge asset to superior or to any company really yeah and uh have you heard of helmets to hard hats i have heard of it yes yeah yep. yeah i we have them up here i think i'm not 100 percent sure but i know you guys have them stateside and they're from what i've heard i've never talked to them directly but from what i've heard from people who have used them they're awesome they sit there and like they'll help help you essentially vet the vets so you get somebody who's, you know, wants to be a welder or wants to be a machinist or 
a manager or whatever, and then helps you as an employer uh, essentially make sure that your environment is it's good for them. So, you know, you're not sitting there and like, hey, guess what? And then, you know, popping balloons behind their back and one thing the other like that. Yeah, that's 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 the worst. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Even (laughs) if you haven't been overseas. Yeah. It, uh, this other gentleman that, you know, I'm thinking of you, obviously he was, uh, something with tanks. Uh, and I honestly can't remember. It was so long ago. And of course there's a lot of noise. I mean, a lot of noise affect everybody. And I remember somebody set off an acetylene bomb and that was, that was a bad idea. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't, I don't endorse, you know, at all acetylene bombs. You're feeling anything with acetylene and lighten it. That's just not safe. But especially when you're talking about somebody that's been in war, like active war oh, yeah. and, uh, just, just not very wise. Well, let, let's uh, move on to the next question here and kind of start moving towards wrapping it up because we've been talking for almost an hour now. What What's in store for Superior? Like, what are your some what what are what are some of your biggest ambitions that you would like to achieve with Superior before you say, okay, you know what, I'm retired, I'm done. What, what, <laughs> Honestly, I uh, I would like to have a I think a lot of people say this. I'd like to have a place that people honestly enjoy to come to work. I always say we got to get work done and I would like to grow it to, you know, 30, 40, 50, a hundred employees or more. Um, that's always been my goal, whether or not we're actually just welding. Um, you know, that's the things we're working on in the future. But, you know, I, I've, I've always wanted our company. Um, I shouldn't say always, cause when I started and I, mean, I didn't have any idea about this, but you know, when I really started taking it serious probably three years ago, I've always told my wife and wife agrees, you know, we, we want our place to be a blessing to others, provided income, a very good income. Uh, we as employers have always paid well above the average, you know, so far as what the, the guy or girl's been doing. Um, and again, we can only afford so much, but honestly, that would be, if there was a legacy so far as superior brand, that would be it or one of it. There's a place that would be enjoyable. So that leading into my family and I are, expanding or moving or whatever you want to call it into Texas. So we're, we're based out of Ohio and uh, we are branching out into Texas. This is an opportunity for us to reinvent ourselves. If if I will, and I could do it here in Ohio. Don't get me wrong. This is something that my family have always, and I have always wanted to do. Now we've got the opportunity to expand. Now I've, I'm a little bit better financially, you know, off, so I can really, I can afford a little bit more, a little bit better. I don't know how to say that, but to expand it to what I really want to do. So my passion personally is the big stuff. I cut my teeth on structural steel at first, and then it evolved into weldments that were, you know, several hundred thousand pounds, you know, three inch, four inch plate, you know, whatever. That's what I'd like to get back into <clears throat> that in like pipe, you know, high pressure pipe. I enjoy the pressure. So I've learned that production work for me personally, like to do thousands of parts, not that I'm like, I feel like I'm above that, you know, too good for it. That's not me. I I just don't thrive on that. But if I'm under pressure and the part's going to be under pressure, that's where I thrive. That's what I feel that I thrive. So we are, our goal is to head into the larger stuff. Uh, You know, obviously I know we're going to have to still do some of the other stuff, you know, to, to keep food on the table. But that would be where I want to go in the future. That's what I see us um, getting into. There are other uh, other companies that I'd like to start and get involved in. Uh, we talked about the muscle car company that kind of comes back into this. 
I would like to, and I kind of already did, I guess, start a muscle car company more for my own pleasure, uh, more for a break than anything uh, for my own vehicles, really, and have a hobby that's not welding, so to speak. I really enjoy welding. I really love it, but I also need something different you know, every every once in a while. And uh, that's going to be my, my hobby kind of a thing. But, you know, I want to grow superior. I want to be known. Somebody asked me the other day, has asked me several times, what do you want to be known for one day? And honestly, if I had to really pick, it would be for the large stuff, for the large commercial projects, uh, whether that be buildings. I don't necessarily think it'd be buildings, but just larger weldments. That's the, the challenge. I personally really enjoy like welding chromoly. For some reason, I, I went down that path of like bigger tubes, not like not like chromoly for chassis or race cars or off-road buggies or whatever, but like bigger stuff, plate and tube, pipe and everything. So those are some of the directions that I'm trying to head superior into um, as we grow. And of course, that's going to evolve. You know, we we're working on a three-year plan and a ten-year plan, and uh, that's been a huge, huge challenge. I, I really would encourage anybody to really step back and work on a three-year plan and a ten-year plan. Uh, One-year plans are great, but you know, they we evolve so fast. But looking out farther ahead has really seemed to help me put my head on straight, so to speak. Um, you know, really, we have evolved into pretty much being a job shop, which isn't a bad thing, but I've realized that I really don't enjoy what I do. So whether we were going to move to Texas or not, you know, this is what I, I feel that I need to do. I need to reinvent myself or get back to what I really enjoy. When are you going to be in Texas? Like, are you already starting that move or? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we've been start we've been working on things. We've been working so far as like, we finally made up our mind last Thanksgiving in 2019 it's like, yeah, this is going to happen. Um, so we've been working on marketing strategies. In fact, our marketing started this week or this past week, I guess. And uh, we've got several, you know, renditions or we got several things that are going to happen in the next couple of months to really start pushing marketing in there, talking to different companies, you know, hoping that we can work into some of this other stuff. Um, in reality, we're taking a step backwards to grow bigger. Um, and what I mean by that is, is, you know, we're going pretty much back to my wife and I. And we're going to move forward from there. Um, you know, we're, this is a strategic plan that we feel that we, we really need to do. And it's going to allow us to grow into, I don't know, honestly, you know, what, I don't know if that's going to be 10 or a hundred or a thousand, but you know, it, it's something that we really need to, we feel that we need to do to really get into what, what I enjoy as a, as an employer, as a, you know, the president of the company. Yeah. You're hoping to go into oil and gas is, is that no. correct? No. Okay. No. Um, oil so, and gas is definitely. So what we're looking at is, is we're looking at getting into, um, and I'll, I'll just give you part of our strategy. Um, our three part strategy is mobile welding first. So that's what we're really hitting. And that's what we have the opportunity today um, to get into. So we purchased this brand new truck um, and the aluminum skids specifically for well, specifically for this, for this transition into Texas, and you know, I got tired of fixing you know the older trucks too. So our we're going to first get into or market toward the uh, mobile welding. Um, second will be production. That's why you've seen us looking at robots, and you'll see a few other posts in the next few weeks of content that we've been working on on the backside of things. Uh, really trying to push and show, hey, we can do this big stuff, um, as well as you know parts that range into the thousands. That's not something that I personally want to do. So that'll involve employees. Uh, the robotics really intrigues me. It's something I've always wanted to do, but me personally, I don't think I'll be the one standing there at, 
at some point, I will I hope I'm not the one. I hope I can you know hire somebody else to run the robots. That'll get us into the production in our third part, um, which will be a year from now, um, give or take. And of course, all this is you know subject to change and whatever. We'll be getting back into sanitary. Um, you know, we do it here for some of the you know, bigger names in, in the country. And I want to get, I'll get back into it at some point in time. Now those three can change, you know, we might get a contract doing sanitary right off the bat, but those are our three strategies, um, really for growth. Um, I would like to probably adapt, maybe add a fourth for the larger projects. I'm just not quite sure yet, you know, how we're going to work in that one out. Okay. All right. How do you find working with your wife? The reason I ask this is because what, like I've, I've mentioned it on a couple other podcasts that I haven't put out yet, but everybody that seems to be in business and is successful is in business with their wife. <laughs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> my wife here says I'm in trouble. No, I, my wife and I are very, very fortunate, very blessed. We get along very, very well. That's not to say we don't argue or have our discussions from time to time about things. But, you know, we get it along very, very well. So I'm more of the risk taker. Well, I am the risk taker more than anything and the spender. I'm willing to take the calculated risks and, you know, go out and, you know, hey, we can do this. Here's what I've found and here's how much it's going to cost. She's more of the conservative, you know, don't take these huge risks and the saver. Um, so that has really balanced us out. It's led to some good discussions too, <laughs> but you know, eventually we work out a solution and it's not always my solution. Sometimes it's her solution, um, as well. Um, so it's, it's honestly, it's a, it's a blessing to have somebody to talk to, um, you know, whether it's your wife or another partner, I know, you know, there's a lot of people out there that say the only ship that doesn't sell is a partnership. Um, I think it's a little bit different with a wife for sure especially if you really love each other and really get along. And I really think that you have to look at it from, you know, you're not going to let this ruin your, your, your marriage or your relationship. You know, this, this is a way to make money. And if it doesn't work, we've always agreed that if it doesn't work or it gets to be too much, meaning, you know, we, we just can't agree on anything or we're going too far into debt. We're done. You know, I'll go back to work or whatever. So that was a, you know, a huge benefit for us. Um, again, I can't speak for everybody. I don't know how everybody does. I've talked to other people that uh, are in business with their wife, and they absolutely hate it. Um, so, you know, I really, I think, I really think it goes back to the relationship you started with before you started business um, that you had with your wife. I would not advise myself anyway that if you have a bad relationship now, you know, and, and uh, I'm trying to say that as respectful as possible, but, you know, starting a business to become closer together probably is not going to happen. Oh, no. <laughs> it'll really test. It, it, it'll, 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 it'll test the relationship more than anything. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, and that doesn't matter how much money you're making, honestly. There's still always going to be decisions. You know, we've done very well um, over the past three years, you know, as I said, it, but there's still things that come up. It's like, you know, this breaks or this costs money or we, we lost and went the hole on this project, you know, and, and we, even though the numbers add up at the end of the year, it still tests things, you know, but uh, I've had a very positive relationship um, or experience, sorry, with, uh, you know, being partners with my wife. In fact, uh, one of the changes that we're making um, in the next few months is, you know, we'll become female owned right now. I'm the primary owner of the company. And to get into some of these other projects, uh, we're looking at changing over to to your woman-owned business. Allows you to get into more contracts than I can get into. Really? Oh yeah. Oh, you want to get into the gov- government stuff? 
Um, you know, that's, that's why I say talk to your attorney <laughs> before you start your business. Cause if you want to get into the government stuff, you have a higher chance. It doesn't guarantee anything, but you have a higher chance to at least get to bid. If you're a female owned or a minority owned or, you know, LGBT or whatever all that stuff is, you know, owned businesses, um, they get, a lot of them get the preferential bidding or I wouldn't say preferential treatment, but you know, a lot of companies, they have to give a certain amount of their work to like women owned companies. And so you have a, a good opportunity there. Hmm. All right. So, did, so she's full-time with superior. She is. Yeah. I mean, her primary okay. is, you know, take care of the kids, but, uh, she takes care of the books. Uh, she doesn't do any of the welding unless we're like really in a pinch, but, uh, she just does the books. She does the accounting. She handles a lot of the back end stuff. Your that, wife can uh, weld. She can. Yeah. I mean, nice. not like, you know, like maybe you and I, but you know, yeah, I've worked with her and she's helped me with a few projects in the past. Not recently, but, you know, in the past, she's helped me with a few things. But the, her, her primary focus is, is the kids first and then, you know, the accounting side. She is the CFO of our company. Yeah. So she handles all those duties. Okay. Now, did, did she learn to weld because, like, she wanted to and just wanted to spend more time with you? Or was it something she already knew how, how to do? Or like No, it was more of a just, you know, I think just fun. I think she wanted to show me up more than anything. And she can do, she can, she can do pretty well. Nice. <laughs> it was more just, you know, we were in the garage and she just wanted to, to learn. And, and honestly, I wanted her to get a feel for what it, it was just in case, not knowing at the time, you know, where we would be. But, uh, yeah, I mean, she's not, I mean, she hasn't welded in a very long time, but she, well, she welded a few months ago, just, just like on practice coupons. My son every once in a while will come out and weld, and she'll pick up the gun or whatever, mid gun, and yeah. uh, just lay on some beads, and that's that satisfies her for a while. <laughs> nice, nice. So, how, how do you? Th- this is my last question, and then we can start wrapping her up. How, how do you divide superior welding from the family when you both work for the company? That's a tough one, honestly. So, one of our biggest goals. And one of our probably our biggest arguments is when to shut off superior or how to shut off superior. As you well know, you know, veteran is open 24 seven, even though you might have hours posted nine to five um, emails still come in at night. You're still always thinking about the next day or the next project. Even tonight, she's like, what do you got to do this week? And it's a Sunday night. You know, we're recording this. So it's been a, it's been a really tough one. I would really like to. Is we, and we've done this this year, I mean, better. I'm not going to say it perfectly, but uh, we're, you know, we start at whatever. And it, every day starts and ends a little bit different because, you know, we might be out till midnight doing a job the night before. And I don't have to get up at seven, you know, or be at work at seven. So I might get up and get work at eight. But, you know, whatever the time is, um, usually it's eight to four, um, three thirty, four o'clock is try to make that like the time we think about it. And we actually are involved in it. And then the rest of the day or the evening, sorry, is family time. Like Saturdays, uh, we do a lot of installs on Saturdays. But the Saturdays we not work in are family days. And that could be here, whether we're going to the park, it could be go camping. It could be, you know, playing around the house or taking care of some, you know, honey-do list type stuff. But we're really trying to shut it off. One of the things that aggravates her the most, I guess, with the company is, you know, shutting off the company or the lack thereof. And uh, that's just, that's a struggle. I think most people can attest to that. It's not as easy as you think just to be like, all right, we're done. Uh, one of the more relaxing things for me has been camping actually. 
So we found some campgrounds here in Ohio that get zero cell service. That is one of the best feelings in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you there. I hear you there. Yeah. Yeah, I know my, my so wife. I, oh, go ahead. Oh, you're, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say my, uh, my wife, Sarah, she's from the Yukon. And so she's all about getting out outdoors and going from there. And we found this one place. It was absolutely beautiful. And we started going there about four or five years ago when we first started dating. And when we, there was her number one criteria had to have zero cell reception. And when this place finally did end up getting cell reception, she was pissed. She's like, come on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been working hard. I don't, I don't always get to do it because you know, you know how it is. You, you're you involved in the middle of a project or projects. And so you've got to keep, you feel like you have to keep your phone, whether it's right or wrong, you got to keep your phone with you. And so I have started to, and I get away from it a lot, but like, I'll leave my phone on the truck, um, you know, in the morning just to, you know, shut things off and to focus on whatever. And I'll do the same at night. I will put the phone someplace else. And, you know, so those that have texted me and or tried to call, that's why that I won't get back to you for several hours. Cause you've got to have, you know, that family time. And I'm not going to say I'm perfect at it at all, but it's definitely something that we're trying to focus on. So as it was, was getting to you know, moving forward, you know, I want to get to where, you know, we're really, whatever our, our schedule is of being open eight to four thirty, seven to whatever, it don't matter when I'm done, I'm done. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it's, we, so we worked out of the garage for, let's just say six years, which is right beside my house. You know, it's you know, literally 10 feet. I'll walk right into my garage door. And when we had the opportunity to purchase this building that we're in, that was like a huge blessing for us because we, you know, we had people coming over and dropping stuff off, which we didn't really like. And, you know, just people showing up out of the blue and with the kids running around, you know, that we just didn't feel that was the best idea. The biggest thing was if I needed to do something, it was right there. And so we'd be sitting there, you know, join you know, a bonfire or whatever and be like, well, I guess I ought to go in there and, you know, weld this up, you know, where now I've got, you know, I got a seven mile drive to the shop. So I've got to go over there if I want to do that. And I don't, I don't do that anymore, <laughs> or at least not very much. Anyway, I don't feel like I have to go back in there and that allows a little bit of separation. Okay, nice. All right. Well, is there anything else that you would like to chat about? I would like to encourage you to push on with the, with the podcast. You know, I think you know, what you have here is is a good thing. You know, talking business, talking life, you know, interviewing your guests and sharing your story. And honestly, you know, having done you know our podcast for several years, I, I now see the blessing you can be. We are to others, and I would encourage you to be the same. You will be. You know, whether you realize it or not, you'll become a blessing to others uh, by helping them. Sharing just one tidbit, you know, it's amazing what you will say, you will say, or a guest will say that will help somebody or totally change their, their direction of life or their perspective. So, uh, definitely, you know, when you mentioned doing this, I don't know how long ago it was, I was like, yeah, I think you could do a really good job. You know, you definitely are inspirational with your stories. Um, don't get to see them all. You know, I don't, I'll admit that I don't, I, I don't get to watch all Jody's videos on YouTube either, but you know, when you did get to watch them, it's like, yeah, I needed that for today, you know? So definitely push on. And, uh, we, we, uh, thank you. Definitely. We thank you for, for starting this for the community. Well, you're welcome. And thank you. I appreciate it. You've been, you've been, like I mentioned at the beginning there, like you've been a big help with setting up the back end of this podcast. And I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. Anything we can do for you. Just let us know. That's what we're trying to be helpful. Awesome. 
All right, well, let's. I think that's a good place to call it. What do you say? I think that'll work. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, thank you for coming on, and thanks for helping out. And we will catch you guys. Oh, before we sign off, where can everybody find you? How can they get get a hold of you? What's the, your socials? All that good stuff. So Instagram is Superior Welding, uh, but most all the other channels, most active on Instagram, if you'd like to email us, it's uh, superiorweldandfab at gmail.com or superiorweldandfab.com is our website. And uh, honestly, you just type in Jonathan Lewis Superior Welding and I usually pop up. So <laughs> email, my phone number is out there publicly. So if you have any questions, I'd be more than happy to help to the best that I can. All right. Awesome. Well, All right. thank you very much. You have a good one and catch you guys on the next episode. All right. Thank you. All right.